following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. Hello, all. Uh, this is Landon from Save Them, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. We are kicking off the Save Them podcast channel, and uh, this has been a long time and much delayed process. Uh, we are excited to get this going. Um, Save Them has been um, working hard for many years now, and um, we actually we've we've wanted to be able to uh, present information uh, in a public space so that we could. Uh, help people understand what we're doing, but also to help influence um, people's lives uh, to the better uh, for many years. And But it's just, it's never been a good time. It's been very, very uh, crazy, and it's been uh, very risky, uh, given what we're, what we're involved in. And so I just wanted to start out with that, you know, for those of you who are listening, who've been wondering for years, where's more info from Save Them? Well, here we're going to start being able to share some things. There's there's enough in our past now that we can reflect on, and um, there's enough for us to be able to share um, that we can uh, go ahead and and kick this off. So thank you for joining us. Uh, you'll find us at SaveThem.org. Uh, that's our website. And uh, so who who is Save Them? Save Them is an organization that was started in 2014, uh, plus or minus. And we uh, are based uh, primarily out of South Africa. And in South Africa, uh, we were busy in 2014 doing work with orphanages. And we were doing uh, education type work with orphans in the different townships. And specifically when we were working in a place called Mamalodi, uh, we were uh, busy there and we had some folks folks come to us and they said, man, you know, thank you for helping us with education and and food and, and whatever. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, we have a bigger problem. And that bigger problem is that our children are disappearing. So there are no children uh, for you to work with <laughs> if we can't solve this problem. So we need you to help us with this. And what they told us was that in any given week, they were losing five to seven children a week off the streets of Mamalodi. That is stunning. And you ask yourself, what? I've never heard of anybody taking kids off the streets of Mamalodi, much less five to seven a week. I mean, what on earth? Um, and, you know, why don't you just go to the police? Just talk to them. Well, they said, look, here's the deal. In Mamalodi, the police had basically been bought off by the Nigerians um, and the local people felt they had no recourse. They, there was nowhere they could go because every time they tried to get help, uh, it was basically a dead end. And that is an endemic situation uh, where crime syndicates buy off police districts. So we said, okay, fine. Um, let us get started. Let us do our due diligence and let us go ahead and try and figure out how best to help you. So we embarked on a due diligence operation to try and uncover uh, what was happening uh, throughout South Africa regarding the topic of human trafficking, as we understood it. And our quick results of said activity really placed us in the realm of, oh goodness, there's very little, if nothing, happening. 
that's a tough place to be uh, with such a big topic as human trafficking. So what we were able to find out is we were able to find out that there was some pressure being placed on South Africa by the UN uh, to start to address the issue of human trafficking in the country. And so there was some move there were some moves towards legislation. And uh, I remember that one of the first meetings I went into, it was a kind of a task force type environment. And we were sitting there looking at legislation uh, that was being drafted around human trafficking. And they, no kidding, had taken the domestic abuse legislation in the country and pretty much cut and paste it and just changed the wording to say human trafficking. Well, domestic abuse is a serious issue. And no joke, um, we understand that. But one of the key things there is that the legislation called for 90 days of care for human trafficking victims because that's what was offered in the domestic abuse scenarios to get people relocated, safe, and into a new life. Well, that is not the same thing. That is totally different. And so we uh, said, look, you guys, you got to open this up at least two to five years better even if it's open-ended. Well, uh, I think at that point, they did open it up to two years. It might be open-ended now. I'm not 100% sure. Actually, I should look at that. Um, But we were able to to open that window up. And that really has laid the foundation for a lot of successful treatments and restoration uh, for countless number of victims throughout the country. So, uh, but that's where we started. And Um, We also understood that there was a government safe housing type of network where when uh, women and children who had been at that point uh, kidnapped or sexually abused or whatever uh, or sold, um, they were being put into these government safe houses. But the government safe houses were a mixed bag and they didn't have a lot of of funding. They were low on, on mission and vision. They didn't have a lot of uh, capability for their staffing to really understand how to deal with healing a human trafficking victim, um, especially because the the crime of human trafficking, uh, especially because of the abuse involved, really goes towards the destruction of the soul of the individual. Um, and you know, we can tell you countless numbers of stories where the the physical attacks combined with the spiritual manipulation of the victims. Uh, works together to just destroy the per- the the person, and so uh, to to reconstruct or heal uh, that that person is not a government uh, keep me fed and housed kind of solution. So um, the social workers of the country weren't really equipped for this, uh, and they were learning, but it was early days. So. Anyhow, so that's, we said, well, okay, here's the deal. We are going to have to do something about this. And if nobody else is doing it, then it might as well be us. So we embarked on a project to build our first safe house, which involved uh, reconstructing a broken down old farmhouse and uh, creating what uh, we called the ICU, which was an environment where we could rapidly bring in rescued victims and we could treat them medically, physically, spiritually, and create a safe space for them to let the dust settle and 
uh, start to interface with authorities and long-term care options for these victims. And uh, we, we put that together, it took a few months, and then, man, I tell you, it was actually, I'm going to say two weeks before we were actually ready to open, we got our first rescue because we just had to. And uh, so we began effectively stealing victims from the crime syndicates. Uh, yeah, if you want to take me out for coffee, I'll tell you more about that some other time. But uh, we started doing that. And then under the cover of night, you know, we would get these victims into our little safe house and begin the process of drug detox. because They're all on drugs and just creating that safe space and then interfacing with authority partners. We were uh, fortunate, um, although that's probably not the right word, it's probably blessed, uh, because the Lord really did line up these pieces for us along the way. We, we didn't have to search very hard to find the partners we needed. Um, and we also learned a lot of lessons about what uh, not helpful partners look like. Um, so... Uh, we we got amazing partners at the uh, in the Hawks, which is the uh, South African equivalent of the US FBI, and in the National Prosecuting Authority, uh, which is like the US, I guess, Department of Justice or US Attorney's Office, and then also uh, Crime Intelligence, which is loosely you could think of it kind of like the US CIA, uh, kind of, um, and then. Uh, but we met a lot of resistance within the social development apparatus of South Africa because it was a government-run operation and we weren't under their thumb. You know, we weren't operating under their auspices. We were a church ministry. Uh, it just so happens we were helping human trafficking victims and they didn't really like that. So um, we can go into a million different reasons why it's, that's the case, but uh, it's neither here nor there at this point. So uh, we went very quickly. Um, man, I want to say nine to 12 months, we went from our first victim and we had a house packed of 18 victims. We had everything from a nine month old to a 44 year old lady. I mean, it was, it was packed. Uh, we had so many cases running in parallel. And one of the things we came across very early is what do we do about staffing? <laughs> How do you staff this thing? And the Lord really brought to us our first house mother, and uh, and she's still with us to this day. And uh, what a blessing, you know, um, when the Lord provides, he provides. And she shows up out of nowhere, is totally driven uh, to missional work. And um, I hope you understand everything that we do from a staffing perspective is missional at Save Them. So all the donations, everything that comes into savethem.org, is going straight to support the field and to pay our expenses for our operating costs of the mission. There, there are no salaries, no, no stipends, no nothing like that. Um, so um, we send everything to the field. And so here we are. We are um, trying our best to figure out the staffing issue. And uh, thankfully, our, our house mother comes in and she's, she's ready to rock. She's on fire. She says, let's do this. And uh, we just we get it going and handled those times. Um, we were attacked multiple times. Um, we had issues where the safe houses got burned. And, and that, that's an expression meaning compromised. 
uh, where somebody had leaked information out and the crime syndicates would show up at the safe house wanting their assets back. And then we had to shut down and relocate and just horrible things. Um, but, you know, we hung in there and persevered and uh, had to close down some safe houses, had to move, expand, all of that. Uh, what a journey. And, you know, you it, a lot of it's a blur. Thankfully, it's not too much of a blur. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're... We're just thankful uh, that we can remember enough <laughs> about everything that's going on that hopefully we're able to share things um, into your life uh, that either helps you or helps others uh, going forward. So, um, yeah, so here we are, and we've got the safe house thing going, and we're starting to now engage in court cases. Uh, so we had figured out um, how best to help the authorities was to get early depositions done. So that first kind of 72 hours when a victim comes in, uh, they would kind of tell us their story, all the information that we had, and we would basically send that forward, package it into an intelligence brief or a deposition and hand it forward to the authorities who would then either use that for uh, building their evidence for a trial where someone had been arrested or into the intelligence apparatus where we could then go out and do more interventions to break down the crime syndicates. So that was happening. And, you know, as you learn how to do all of this, you develop trusted relationships and we learned who we could trust, who we couldn't. And you have to put a lot of faith in the Lord that um, he's going to put that light in front of your feet and you just got to keep following it, following it, following it. Um, something else we learned along the way is that with all these victims coming through, we had to learn how to operate as the body of Christ. And, you know, there's no better way to learn how to operate as the body of Christ when you're, than when you're in a situation trying to help very broken people in a non, uh, non-denominational safe space. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Um, but we, you know, we're taking any volunteer we could get. We, you know, we, I mean, we had very strict vetting protocols, but we were not picky about where we would be accessing our, our folks, uh, which is very different from a lot of other missional type things where you typically plug into the mission of your denomination and kind of stay in your swim lane. This is different. Uh, helping victims of human trafficking crosses everything. Um, in fact, it even leaves Christianity. It goes out into the wide world of hurt people because Human trafficking doesn't differentiate between Christians and non-Christians. They just take girls, boys, women, men. Yeah, okay. So, you know, we, I mean, goodness, over the years, we had Muslims, we had Satanists, we had Christians, we had atheists, we had everybody come through. Uh, it, it didn't matter. But we knew very early on that if Christ wasn't at the center of our operation, then, then, then there was no operation to be had. Because Christ is the only option for renewal, um, for, for renewed identity. You know, when you're that broken, if you can have a renewed identity in Christ, then there's hope for you. And if you can't, then there really isn't. It's very, very uh, unlikely. It's very short-lived if it does occur. And so we knew that uh, Christ and the healing power of Christ had to be at the, the center of what we were doing. So um, I do want to share a couple of thoughts on the body of Christ because we learned a lot. And 
I think it's a lesson that the, the church would be served well to learn at large. And that lesson is this. Uh, the term is the body of Christ. The term is not the hands of Christ. Right? It's not the foot of Christ. It's not the abdominal muscles. Right? It's the body. And so if we're going to operate as the body, and if Christ is going to be at the head, and if the Holy Spirit is going to manage our ability to actually help these victims to his glory, then we have to operate as the body. Well, what we learned along the way is that the body is made up of a lot of different gifts, um, a lot of different genuine competencies. And although our traditions and nuances may differ at a denominational level, as long as the core tenets of the faith are there, then the giftings that the different parts of the body of Christ have actually complement each other. And we have been so successful with this. And uh, I want as an example, and I'll get myself in trouble here, which uh, you'll probably figure out if you listen to any more of these podcasts, I often do. Um, but so here's the deal. Uh, the happy clappy Christians, um, whom I love dearly, uh, they are phenomenal at heart-led, compassionate mercy ministry. And so what we found is that they were very, very capable and, uh, and such a blessing when it came to helping in those early days and helping with a very broken uh, ch- women, children, boys, etc. Um, but their burnout rate was significant and it was uh, unsustainable if that was the only capability we had in our wheelhouse for the very broad mission that we were undertaking in the world of human trafficking. So although, um, although they had a lot of support for us, they couldn't fill certain parts of the mission because of their proclivity towards certain uh, types of fruit okay, um, and giftings. So we said, well, okay, what else have we learned? Well, here's what we also learned. God bless my Reformed brothers and sisters <laughs> because their disposition, their role in the body of Christ is a little bit different. They are extremely loyal and they are so ready to persevere through very, very tough times. And um, when you do do what we do, especially on the investigation and rescue side, um, well, even in the victim care side uh, for the long haul, you have to be prepared to fail a lot. And if you're not prepared to fail most of the time, this is not for you. Um, So, you know, I often like to tell my team, we're not creating a fail-safe environment here. We're creating a safe fail environment, meaning that the pressure is not on the staff to do the work of the Holy Spirit. The pressure is not on the staff to do the work of the Lord. The pressure on the staff is to be obedient to the calling of God and to just stay faithful. And the Lord will do the work. We will plant seeds. Holy Spirit will do the watering. And praise God if we get to reap some harvest. If we don't get to reap some harvest and somebody else in the body reaps it, praise God. It just doesn't matter. You know, wherever 
wherever we catch someone in their journey is where we catch them at. And we just have to meet them there and um, let the Lord do the rest. So, so anyway, so when it came to things like, um, like mercy ministry, we're able to use my happy clappy buddies. And when we were doing more investigations, long detailed things with data and structuring Intel packages, and even our Intel network that we developed where we were able to use on the ground human intelligence capabilities, largely grounded in on the street ministries, we were able to tap into long-term reformed type churches who just do it all the time and they never give up and they just keep going because they're obedient and faithful. So, and I'm not saying that other parts of the body aren't obedient and faithful. I'm just saying that when you understand that different parts of the body have different giftings and then the as their primary, even though they all have secondary and tertiaries, well, then you can bring those together and and you can overlap them. And wow, now you've got the whole puzzle. And then we're operating as a body, okay? And uh, Christ will lead us into victory. So I wanted to share that because it's been a core learning of what we've done. And when we go into the authorities and we find Christians in government, look, and I have to say, a lot of Folks along the way, they say, ah, forget the government. Government's worthless. Ah, they don't do anything. They're, they're, they're of Satan. Well, you know what? Okay, fine. But remember, God institutes government. God, sorry, God instituted government, right? And we need to figure out how the church and the government can work together uh, to achieve the Lord's goals. If we just abscond, then what's the point, Right? And then other people say things like, ah, you know, the church, ah, it's just corrupt, it's just corrupt, or they do nothing, they're just lukewarm, or, you know, uh, you know, ah, that denomination doesn't believe what I believe. Well, I just shared with you how the body is multifaceted, and we, just because there are parts of this world that are subpar doesn't mean that everybody's subpar. There are some brilliant lights in the church that are shining for Jesus Christ, it's just about finding them and applying them. And that's what we've been able to do. So um, that's been a real blessing of our ministry, and we're very thankful for it. So here we are, and I don't want to get off on too many tangents. Uh, we'll cover these things also in further podcasts. But um, so here we are. We're, we're, we're firing on all cylinders, you know. Rescues are coming. We've got safe houses full. We're prosecuting cases. We're going after the bad guys. And we have nailed what I'm going to call traditional human trafficking. Hmm, what is that? That is your traditional crime syndicate operation where children are taken and sold, and women sold, put on the balance sheet, uh, and then they are sold for primarily sexual um, abuse, sometimes eventually organ trafficking, and also sometimes for labor, um, but sexual trafficking being the big one. Um, and that's just a recurring income uh, aspect of these guys' balance sheet. Well, that's, that's traditional human trafficking, as I'm going to call it. Well, then one day we are uh, working with our partners at the National Prosecuting Authority, and, and they, they come to us and they slam down, boom, this big old stack of dockets, a whole stack of cases. And uh, they say, guys, we need your help. So okay. And they said, we are getting so many of these cases, and we can't do them. 
they, we don't have the resources, we don't have the knowledge. We need you guys to take this on. And we said, okay, well, what is it? And they, and they said, well, look through it. So here's the deal. The majority of the cases were related to cults and the occult. And we said, what? Oh, man, that's a totally different thing. Until we reflected back on an experience we had had in October of 2015 when we were called in to the killing fields of a town in South Africa where 11 Nigerian prostitutes were found dead in a field and they all had the same kill signature. At the time, we just identified that they were all the same kill signature, which meant that they obviously had been sacrificed and we realized that there was an overlap between um, occult organizations like Satanists and the crime syndicates. Okay, we've pulled that out of our shelf on the back of our minds and we pulled it forward and we said, ah, okay, right. We, we know that there's a human trafficking overlap between occult organizations who look to, to take people and do things to them and the crime syndicates, okay, it's still human trafficking. Uh, we understand why you, you want us to help you on this, but it's different. And here's, here's what, what we came to know the, and un, just put into our framework is that the big difference is that when you're dealing with non-traditional trafficking, as I'll call it, um, you're dealing with people who are using other people, but to an eventual dead end. So their, their goal of using other human beings is to rape and mutilate, sacrifice, it, just very horrible things. Their goal is not the repeated use of them to generate income. So you have a totally different business model, quote unquote. You have a totally different criminal footprint. Because now imagine someone is taken by a cult group who is going to sacrifice that person. The time from kidnapping to, to um, sacrifice is very quick. It could happen within days, weeks. Uh, whereas when someone is kidnapped for traditional human trafficking, well, by definition, they're going to be on the balance sheet for a while. So you have a better chance of finding them and recovering them. Not so much in non-traditional human trafficking. Okay, so we said, okay, fine, we'll try and figure this out. Um, we will um, definitely, obviously, help, help sort this out. So we started doing our, our uh, studies and investigations. We started making uh, partnerships, um, uncovering networks of people who knew about the cult and occult activities out there and, uh, or across the country. And since, since we were dealing primarily in South Africa, um, we started out where... Uh, we we knew that things like um, witch doctors and black magic were prevalent. Uh, we knew that things like muti, which is the trafficking of organs of children, uh, was commonly found at cash in transit incidents uh, where the bad guys would, would have the muti with them as a sense of protection uh, to try to ward off... Um, adversarial spirits and to try to gain favor uh, for their operation of stealing this money. Um, and that was found in almost every cash and transit uh, incident dating back to 2007. Well, okay. 
Um, there's that part. And then also South Africa has this age old European uh, occultism, uh, which came down many, many moons ago, uh, huh, pun intended, um, where there the you got the the British Isles, um, which had kind of the the Celtic pagan occult uh, aspects and also mingled in with a lot of Freemasonry. Um, and then you had uh, good old fashioned Satanism, black mass type stuff that came down, all melding in South Africa. And there used to be this occult crimes unit type presence um, up until the change of government uh, where they were very involved in this. And it's just kind of fizzled out and hasn't really, uh, they're still there, but it's not as active as it used to be. So we started gathering uh, these networks. We started understanding what was going on. And we knew that we had to also seek out additional help. So um, we started getting our staff trained to become formal counselors uh, who can actually interface with victims of ritual abuse and actually counsel these folks um, in a formal structure that is recognized by South African law. That's very important uh, because if you run around South Africa just kind of uh, dipping into everybody's psychological problems, you'll get yourself put in jail. Uh, they're very, very serious about this, and uh, we respect that. Uh, you don't want you know every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there telling you how to solve your problems, and then you end up in a worse place than you started. So we <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, so we did that, but also at that time, I thought I'm going to seek out also some some folks stateside who have a, a little bit more extensive knowledge on this uh, from their perspective. And so um, I was able to connect up with a guy named Russ Dizdar. And uh, Russ and I became good friends. I got to know uh, his team very well and um, actually began working with them um, for many years now and really got to appreciate uh, all the missed signs that we had throughout the years. You know, we actually had ladies coming through our safe houses who had occult things drawn in their journals and we didn't understand um what was in their journal um but when we looked back we thought oh my goodness they were actually part of occult rituals but what we definitely didn't know at the time is that even though there were occult rituals happening the entities were not the crime syndicates the entities were these other cult and occult organizations who overlapped with the Nigerian crime syndicates. So, and I say Nigerian, look, I don't want to paint all Nigerians with the same brush. I, you know, but here's the, here's the deal. We've got to call a spade a spade. And it was primarily the Nigerian crime syndicates that were pushing this at the time. Since then, we got things also like the Somalians, the Greeks, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. Um, but that's a, that's a totally different trail of operations. So, we um, interfaced with Dizdar and his team and really started to gain capability in understanding the criminal patterns. Uh, so Russ was a, was a police chaplain, and he had trained up a bunch of uh, police officers in the criminal patterns of the occult and had worked with lots of law enforcement on that. Uh, so we learned how to do that and how to uncover these crime patterns, which are a little bit different uh, when you're talking about the occult. And they don't look quite like crime syndicate patterns. They're not as visible by definition because occult means hidden. Um, and 
you have to remember that the occult has been doing this for, well, going on thousands of years. This is not something, I mean, if you go to Ezekiel 8 in your Bible, you'll see how it was the Lord that had to show Ezekiel what the elders of Israel were doing in the dark, okay, through visions. That's how hidden and secret it was. Nobody knew this was going on. There's a reason. So Satan hides in the darkness, but man, you shine light on it, boom, he's busted. And uh, so there's a reason why the occult is good at what they do, because they've been doing it forever. And so when you interface with parts, let's say, of the church, and you say to them, this is happening, they'll say, well, why don't we ever hear about it? And you say, because it's the occult. It's secret and hidden. (laughs) By definition, they're good at what they do. That's why you don't know about it. Because if you did know about it, you either would be working with us uh, because you're trying to peel back the onion, or you're in the occult. <laughs> like that's, that's the only way you'd know about this. It's not like organized crime, where they're setting up shop on the streets, and they're saying, come and get us, we have bigger guns than you do. It's not like that. It's totally different. I mean, these guys are meeting in woods, they're meeting in basements, they, they, they run society, they've, they've got power structure spread out throughout towns and and governments and universities it is a totally different ball game there's a reason why it's called the occult okay so we we started figuring this out started interfacing with people and we said okay we're gonna do it we're gonna help you all out and uh what a journey what a journey but i'll tell you when you interface with a victim who gets to know Christ Jesus and has their heart, soul, and mind renewed to the glory of God, there is nothing, nothing in this world more powerful, more joyful than being able to play that role in that person's life. I will tell you that for a fact it is why I wake up in the morning. It is why our team does what we do. In service to the Lord, we are so blessed to be able to play this role. And, um, and we look forward to carrying on. So I just wanted to give everybody a little bit of an overview. Um, we've, we've gone down many paths over the years, but here we are. So right now, we're continuing our day job of doing the traditional trafficking stuff. We've got a lot of things going on. And then we're also expanding and going after the non-traditional trafficking, helping the authorities crack that nut. And uh, we've, we've got huge, look, not everybody uh, would want to, let's say, wake up on a Thursday morning and say, you know what? Today's the day. Today's the day that I just, I want to go kick the Satanist in the teeth. You know, that's not, that's not something people do. Um, you don't wake up wanting to go do that. Um, but it is where the Lord leads some of us. And so we, we take the challenge. Um, and I don't want to overplay the whole Satanist thing also. I mean, yeah, they're part of the equation, but let's not give Satan undue credit uh, for, for anything, um, especially those who claim his name. Uh, the, but there are bigger issues like cults where you've got these false prophets who have harems of teenagers who are abused and sexually destroyed. And they then sell these girls to the Nigerian crime syndicates and they get trafficked into the traditional system from the quote unquote churches, uh, which 
we as Christians have got to destroy apostate Christianity. We have to get into the middle of it and got to blow it up. We got to get the light of Christ in there and that darkness cannot resist the light of the Holy Spirit ever, ever. So we have to engage, but guess what? Can't do anything by sitting at home, right? And so that's why we have to get out there and do it. And that's what our team is busy with. Um, I don't want to go too long. We can do more podcasts. I just want to give an overview of, of where we're at and uh, what we're all about. And I hope the, that this has been helpful. hope it blesses you in some way. Um, please feel free to share this with anybody that you think might be uh, interested in hearing about these topics and, and just waking up to the realities of what's going on in the world around us. Uh, as we go forward, we'll, we'll issue more podcasts that deal with some of the content of, of, what, we're, of what we're doing. And we will um, try to really keep it on, on topic and targeted uh, so that it's, it's not, not necessarily training material, but that it's stuff that's actually helpful for people to apply and uh, appreciate uh, in their own lives and those around them. So thank you again. Uh, again, our website, savethem.org. And I'd uh, love to have you join um, our network and be part of this fight. All right. Blessings to you all. It's Landon out. Cheers.